Good morning, how we doing? Right on, if you have a Bible with you and want to grab that, we'll be in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 as we wrap up this morning, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Uh, hey, two things I want to say to you before we get going into Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and the very first thing I want to say to you um, is thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for leaning in. If you remember the first night on Friday night, we talked about there's two postures you can have when you listen to the wisdom of someone like Solomon in the scriptures. You can lean back or you can lean in. And this group all weekend, each and every one of you has leaned in. You've listened to what God has to say, remembering that God has something unique to say to you this weekend. And it's really a thank you because here's what I know. I know that I've talked about some hard things this weekend. Like, it'd be really easy to get up here and just sort of say some vague things that make you feel good and send you out. But you've heard some hard things this weekend. And my hope for you the rest of your life is that you would continue to surround yourself with people who will tell you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear. But my hope for the rest of your life is that you will sit under the teaching of individuals in the church who are willing to teach you hard things to move you forward in your faith this goes for your Bible study leader, your small group leader, your youth pastor. I hope you will continue to sit under their teaching, not just when they say things that you really like, but when they say things that you really need to hear. So the first thing I want to say is thank you, and then the second thing I want to do is I want to prepare you this morning for what comes next. Because all of us know this, that camp is coming to a close today. We'll get in cars and buses and vans and vehicles and go down the road. We'll go down the hill to wherever is home. And whatever's been happening back at home, here's what I need you to know. It hasn't stopped this weekend. Like things have kept churning. Things have kept going. Whatever drama was happening on Friday when you left is still going on. Whatever things are going on in the world when you stop getting cell phone reception are still going on in the world. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to prepare your heart for what comes next, that you would understand how you can step into the next season of life as you step out of camp and go into the next thing. I want to show you what comes next. Now, the way I want to do that this morning um, is in a little bit of a different way than we've been doing throughout the course of the weekend. So what we've been doing throughout the course of the weekend is we've taken big passages of Scripture, and we've just kind of walked through those passages of Scripture. And I'm convinced that's a beautiful way of studying the Scriptures, when you have big chunks of Scripture. But then there's also another way to study Scripture that we're going to do this morning. Like, here's the two ways I like to talk about studying the Bible, whether it's a sermon we do, or whether it's you studying the Bible on your own. The first way I like to describe studying the Bible is if you could think about a burrito with me for a second. Um, so burritos, I love a good burrito. All of us here in California do. And so here's what I want you to know about a burrito. When you eat a burrito, your goal in eating the burrito is not to taste every single little element. It's to get as much burrito in your mouth as possible to chew and to swallow and to enjoy the whole thing all at once. Like no one eats a burrito with like chopsticks where they're like, mmm, this grain of rice delectable, right? Like no one does that. Now the burrito is the one of the ways I think about studying the Bible. What do I mean by this? That sometimes when you study the Bible, the goal is to consume as much of the Bible as you can in one sitting. Like your goal isn't to pick apart every word, it's to read through big chunks of scripture. Sometimes I'll do this. Sometimes I'll sit down and read the entire book of Philippians or the whole Sermon on the Mount. This year my goal in my Bible reading is to read through the entire Bible. I'm not trying to stop on every word and every sentence and understand it. I'm just trying to get as much Bible in as I can and get the whole picture. That's reading the Bible or studying the Bible like a burrito. But let me give you the other way of reading and studying the Bible. And it's the way we're going to study the Bible this morning. 
There's a way to read it like a burrito. The other way to read the Bible is like fine dark chocolate. So when it comes to fine dark chocolate, unless you're doing it very, very wrong, your goal with dark chocolate is not eat as much as possible all at once. Your goal is to savor it, is to break off just a small little piece. It's to let it sit on your mouth. It's to taste every little nuance and element of it. Your goal is not to eat as much as you can all at once. Your goal is to take the smallest bit possible and enjoy every little element of it that you possibly can. And here's what I do sometimes in my Bible reading. Some years I try to read the entire Bible, just get it all in like a burrito. And other years I say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to study little bits of scripture for a month and a half. I'm going to spend a year just studying the Gospels. I'm going to really think deeply about what Psalms 46 says when it says, be still and know that I'm God. I'm going to sit and reflect on that every morning for a month. See, sometimes you got to get as much Bible as you can, and sometimes you sit on one verse, you sit on one idea, one concept, and you extract everything out of it that you possibly can. And that's what we're going to do this morning. This morning I have two verses for you. One out of the book of Ecclesiastes, And one out of the book of Psalms. And this morning, my hope for you is that you will absorb everything you possibly can out of these two small, short verses that we're going to look at. That God might prepare you for what comes next. So I want you to see this in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. If you have your Bible open, we're going to be here in verse 13. This is Solomon. And he's gone through this whole book. Where he's described, things go one way, things go the other way, everything's meaningless, there's no meaning unless God is involved in the picture. He's laid a burden on us, we have a choice of the way we're going to live. And here is how he finishes his book, here is his conclusion. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, it's on the screen if you don't have a Bible in front of you. It says, now all has been heard, here is the conclusion of the matter. This is like when the preacher says, listen, 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 if you hear nothing else today, Hear this. It's when your teacher at the end of your class says, hey, listen, I need you to know this. This is going to be on the test. Write this down. This is Solomon's way of saying, if you ignore everything else I say, don't forget this. And here's what he says, the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Fear God, keep his commandments. We're going to sit on this verse for a little while here. Because I'm convinced if you will go do these things, if you will go walk in obedience and faithfulness to this verse, if you will internalize this inside of your body, it will change every single thing about the way you live your life and the way you follow Jesus. Fear God, obey his commandments. Now it kind of sounds like a punch list of two things, right? You're supposed to fear God, then you're supposed to go obey his commandments. But I'm actually convinced these two things overlap significantly. In fact, I'm pretty sure that this is basically one commandment. This is a commandment to fear God in such a way that you obey his commandments because you fear God more than anything else. Because if you're writing down notes, I want you to write this. Every time I disobey, it is because I do not fear God. Every time I disobey God, it is because I do not fear him. And if you remember a few nights ago, or two nights ago, here's what we said. It's because whatever you fear most will control you 
Fear is not just an emotion you feel. It is something that dictates and controls your behavior. So when I do not fear God, I will not walk in obedience to his commandments. But when I fear God more than anything else in this world, obedience flows naturally out of this. Because it comes down to a question of, what will I fear more in this world? That is always going to be what's churning inside of you when you think about whether you're going to obey God or not. Think about it this way. It'd be like this. Um, Imagine if you were over in Memorial Chapel right over there uh, yesterday, and you were working on your box sled for your church, and then someone calls out to you, hey, you're late. It's your turn to play broom hockey. So now you got a moment where it's the middle of the day at camp. You're supposed to be over at the ark, and you're supposed to be playing broom hockey. And so you know the way there. It's not a complicated route, right? You go down this little hill. You go across this little walking bridge here. You hang a left, and you're over at the ark. But here's what else you know. You are in a hurry to get over to broom hockey, and at the same time, that little bridge over there where you walk across the river and you go off the other side of the bridge, if you are not careful over there, you will slip on the ice and you will certainly die. Like, this is how it goes over there. I've slipped on that bridge so many times, I know how it goes. And so here's the question before you. You are in a hurry to get to broom hockey, you don't want to miss it. But you also don't want to slip on the ice and die and go see Jesus early. And so now you've got a decision to make. And the question really in this moment comes down to this. Which do you fear more? Being late to broom hockey or slipping on the ice and falling? Do, do you see how every small little moment of your life, even something as small and trivial as you walking from Memorial Chapel over to the ark, is going to come down to what or who do you fear most? This is every bit of your life. Whatever you fear most will control you. In a moment, whatever you fear most will control you. When the Bible says to fear God and keep his commandments, it is saying that when I fear God more than anything in this world, I will keep his commandments. Let me give you a number of examples. So the scriptures say um, that when you read the Bible, you're reading what God has to say. And I don't know if you know this, but the Bible says a lot of things that are not popular in our culture. Can we just get real? The Bible says a lot of things about sex and gender that are not popular in our culture. The Bible says a lot of things about money that are not popular in our culture. The Bible says a lot of things about relationships that are not popular in our culture. And here's what happens to far too many Christians. They know exactly what the Bible says. They know exactly what God has to say about it. But they choose not to believe or live as if that's true because they are more afraid of the opinions of the culture around them than they are of God. And if you fear the opinions of your classmates, your teammates, the people you do theater with, the people you do school and life with, the people in your life, if you fear their opinions more than God, you will not believe God's clear, revealed will in the Bible. That's what it means to fear God and keep his commandments. You will never keep his commandments if you fear the opinion of some teenager who's at your school more than you fear God. You will never keep God's commandments until you stop fearing someone on social media who's going to say something rude or mean about you. Or, or I think about it this way. So um, here's what's going to happen. You're, you're going to go down the hill today, and a lot of you, uh, something will happen. Um, I've seen this every single time I've come up to, uh, to, to camp with students. You get on the bus, and everyone's talking and having a great time, and then we hit the General's Highway, right? You're going down, and everyone's good, and everyone's good, and then suddenly the entire bus, the entire van lights up with bzz, bzz. And suddenly you get reception again. And the whole vibe changes in a moment. Because everyone's like, ah, we're having fun. We're in this together. And then it's like, right? And suddenly you're on your phone. And here's what's going to happen. 
What's going to happen is you're going to get reception. Your phone's going to work again. You're going to be able to post things and look at things and do all of this. And then here's been the tragedy for me for so many years. I see kids go down the hill. They've been at this weekend where you have encountered the living God of the universe, where God has moved in your heart. He brought you here on purpose, for a purpose. He spoke to you. There's incredible things going on. And then you go to post something on your social media of choice, and your caption underneath the thing you post is, fun in the snow. It's like, excuse you? You came up here and encountered the living God of the universe, and the thing you want to talk about is pine trees and snow? But why do we do that? Rather than saying, I went to camp, I encountered God, I want you to encounter God too. Here's what some of you are terrified of. You're terrified that someone's going to comment something nasty on that. That they're going to look down on you. So rather than sharing about Jesus, rather than talking about the Savior, rather than talking about the Savior, you talk about the snow because that's easier. It's safer. And you fear the opinions of your friends more than you fear God. So listen, over and over and over again in the next few days, you are going to have a moment where you're going to have to either fear God or fear the opinions of other people. Or it's like this, like some of you came up to camp and you have this recognition that there's some unhealthy patterns in your life. And for some of you, I said this the other night, the unhealthy pattern in your life, ladies, is that you are dating someone you have no business dating. He is not good to you. He is not kind to you. He does not honor you the way you deserve to be honored. He does not respect you the way you deserve to be respected. And ladies, some of you know that this needs to end. But I said this before, I'll say it again. Some of you are more terrified of being alone than you are of honoring God. Some of you are more terrified of being alone than you are being in a relationship with him. And whatever you fear most will control you. And if God is calling you to step into an element of uncomfortability where you need to end something toxic or unhealthy in your life, I need you to know that when you fear God more than anything else, you will obey what he says. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying it's simple. I don't even know what the situation is in your life. I'm not here to say break up or not. I'm just saying when I fear God more than anyone else, I'm willing to do bold and hard things. I'm willing to do difficult things. I remember it was 2014, I think, 10 years ago now. We were up here at camp, uh, and I had a guy who was in that exact situation. He was dating a girl. Uh, she wasn't a Christian. She was drawing him away from the Lord. She's probably a great person on her own, but just wasn't a healthy thing for this young man. And I remember he came to the conclusion that if I'm going to follow after Jesus, I need to break up with her, not because dating's bad, but because I'm unhealthy in this relationship. And I remember we agreed with him. We said, okay, we're going to, you're going to go home, and, and this is probably the best thing. We're trying to coach him and encourage him on how to do it graciously and gently, and how to not make it about her, but actually about him and his faith and how he needs to move forward. And I remember this young man, and I'll never forget the story, even being in this chapel right now, uh, because we come in for the final chapel on this morning, like as we're about to go down the hill, and he walks in, he goes, guys, I did it. We're like, you did what? He says, I, I did it. I ended it. I'm like, excuse me? You don't have a cell phone. How did you do this? She's not at camp. He goes, I found some quarters. I went to the payphone and I did it. I was like, oh no. Oh no. Not the way to do it, buddy. And as much as I don't like that he did it from a payphone, here's what I do like. I do like that he put it into action. I didn't just go, oh, maybe someday. He decided what he needed to do. The Lord was leading him and prompting him. And here's, shh, here's what I love. I love that this young man decided I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do what the Lord calls me to even if it scares me, even if it worries me, even if I don't love it, I'm going to do it. Let me give you another hard thing. I think some of you need to go home and confess a sin, unhealthy pattern, or destructive choice you have made to your parents. And I think the temperature just went way up for some of you. Because for some of you, confessing to your cabin, your cabin leader, that's actually not so hard. 
but you are terrified of confessing to your parents because of a whole long, complicated story. But I think some of you need to do exactly that. The scriptures say, honor your father and mother, and you keeping secrets from your father and mother is not honoring them. And the only question for you when it comes to obeying the commandment to honor your father and mother is, do you fear God or do you fear the opinion of your mom more? Like, this is how it gets down to this. Whether or not you will confess that thing to your parents, again, I'm asking you to go home and do hard things, difficult things, to make real choices going forward. I'm asking you to think about what are the things God is commanding me to do. Maybe you need to serve in ministry. And you know what? Some of you are terrified to go serve in junior high ministry or elementary ministry or to go on a mission trip because you go, what if I fail? What if I'm not good at it? But the call of God is to serve and to use your gifts and to build up the body of the church. And so the question for you is, do you fear God or do you fear the opinions of people who think you're going to fail? Well, like I talked the first night about you worshiping freely. That doesn't just apply at camp. You're going to go to youth group sometime this week, whether it's tomorrow or Wednesday or Tuesday or whenever your youth group or whenever your church gathers. And the question once again for you will be, are you more concerned about the opinions of everyone around you and how they're looking at you worshiping? Or do you fear God more than you fear them? Again, when it comes to fearing God, This is not just an emotion. It's not just something we feel. It's not just something we think about. It is something we do. It is something we obey. When the scriptures say, fear God and keep his commandments, it is, if I fear God more than anything else, I will keep his commandments because I'm not worried about everyone else's opinion. Listen, when it comes to loving God, when it comes to the relationship we have with him, I want you to know that the evidence that you love God is not emotion. Write this down. The evidence that I love God is not emotion emotion. So many people think, like, I just feel close to God right now. My hands were raised, and I felt that experience of God, and that's a beautiful, and it's a good thing. But the evidence that you love God is not emotion. According to the Bible, the evidence that you love God is obedience. It's obedience. Do you listen to what God says, and then do you do it all the way and right away without delay? The evidence that you love God is obedience. So see, this is the beautiful thing going on right now. Um, Some of you are experiencing what we always talk about as like a camp type high. Like you feel close to God right now. You feel like you and God are like this close. When you worship, it feels different. When you pray, it feels different. When you're here, it just feels different. And here's what I want you to know so clearly right now. That you do not have a camp high. You have an obedience high. That's what you have right now. Like I need you to know there's nothing special about Hume when it comes to your relationship with God. It's not like God lives up here at Hume in the cabin right over there, and because you're a little closer to his cabin, now you get to experience this with God. This is the mystery everyone thinks is so profound. It's not a mystery. What have you done all weekend? You sat under the teaching of the word. You have worshiped. You have prayed. You have forsaken your sin and the distractions that so easily pull you away from Christ. You've been in fellowship with God's people. You have confessed. You have repented. You have been in fellowship with God's people, doing the things God told you to do, and what a mystery. You feel close to God. And here's the deal. If it's a camp high you have, that's the most depressing news in the universe. Because it means you only, at most, get to feel close to God two times a year. Winter camp, summer camp, that's it. But if it's an obedience high you have, that is the best news I could possibly tell you. You know why? Because you can obey every single day of your life and experience the joy that comes from obeying Christ's commands. You can do that tomorrow and the next day and the next day and actually walk in a way where you don't do what I used to do, where I was a recovering camp addict. I'd go to camp and everything would be great. 
Then about two weeks later, it would just kind of fall off, and I'd go back to my normal patterns. And then I'd go back to camp, and everything would be great. And eight times, summer camp, winter camp, four years of high school, that was my pattern over and over and over and over again until I finally figured out that camp wasn't the purpose obedience was. You want to know the two-step formula for spiritual growth? Write these two things down. It's profound. It'll blow your mind. Two-step formula for spiritual growth. It's so complicated. Number one, you listen to God. You listen to him. You listen through his word, through his people, through his spirit, through his word when you open your Bible, through his people when you gather in church, through his spirit when you're in prayer and you listen to him speak to you. Number one, you listen to God. Number two, you do what he says. Rinse and repeat for the rest of your life. Listen to God, do what he says. Listen to God, do what he says. This is so different than how many, so many Christians think spiritual growth happens. See, a lot of Christians think spiritual growth happens just through learning more information. But I want you to know information does not cause growth, obedience does. Information doesn't cause you to be more like Christ, obedience to Christ does. It's like the person who reads all sorts of books on nutrition, and they read about carbs and macros and fats and proteins and all these different things. They read about micronutrients and they read about all these different things. They watch podcasts and YouTube videos and they read books and they take classes. They know everything about nutrition, but their diet consists of mostly Twinkies. That person will not become healthy. Why? Not because they don't have insight. They have all the insight in the world because they don't actually take action on it. See, insight is cheap. Information is cheap. It's everywhere in our world today. Obedience is rare. And if you want to grow to be more like Jesus, you must walk in obedience. You fear the Lord more than anything else, and you walk in obedience to Christ. I want to give you three things to do, three ways you walk in obedience to Christ as you go home. Three things for you to consider that God has called not just some of us, but all of us to as we go home. And the way I want to do that is I want to give you the second verse we'll look at this morning. It is Psalm chapter 90, verse 12. We'll have it on the screen here. Here's what it says. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Remember, we listened to Solomon all weekend, and Solomon is the wisest man who's ever lived. And if you want to have the same heart, the same perspective, the same kind of wisdom that Solomon has, here's what it says. We actually need to learn to number our days. Now, when the Bible says number our days, that is like an ancient Hebrew way of saying, remember, you don't live forever. Like, I need you to remember you will not live forever in this life. You will die one day. The end is coming. And, and listen, I'm not trying to be dramatic here. That could be in an hour. That could be in a day. That could be in four days or 40 days or 40 weeks or 40 months or 40 years or 60 years. But there is coming a day where your life will come to an end. And when the scriptures say that we number our days, it is a reminder that every second you have breath in your lungs and life in your body is a gift from God. And the only question is, what will you do with this gift God has given you? Whether you have two years or 20 years or 40 years or 60 years, or you live to the ripe old age of 100 and you have 80 to 90 years left in your life, what will you do with the life God has given you and the breath God has given you? Now, now, now this is where I'm nervous. What will you do with your life is often met with the answer that I gave that first night. The American dream. I will graduate high school. I will go to college. I will go to grad school. I will get a job. I will make money. I will get married. Like, it's all of these things. You have this plan for your life. And I like to call your plan the illusion of a nice plan. Because here's what I know about your plan. It's not going to work the, th the way you think your plan is going to work. And I want to prove that to you this morning. And here's how I want to prove that to you. I am going to do a poll of the room. 
and you are only allowed to answer the question to the poll if you are over the age of 20. 20 or above. So if you are under the age of 20, if you are over the age of 20, I am going to count to three. I'm going to ask a question, count to three, and you can say yes or no to this. If you're under 20, don't answer, or you will fall into a pit of alligators. But if you are over the age of 20, here's my question. Has your life gone exactly as you thought it would go when you were 13 years old? On three, if you're over 20, one, two, three. No. No. Shh, don't miss that. That is the voice of wisdom. That is the voice of a people who have numbered their days. Because they had a plan, they had a vision. This is how it's going to go. This is how it's going to be. I'm going to go this way. I'm going to marry this person. It's going to be just like this. It's going to go just this kind of way. And it never goes the way you think. When the Bible says number your days, it does not mean have your perfect life planned together because it's going to go exactly the way you think it's going to go. No, when the Bible says number your days, it says you have no clue how your life is going to go. You have no idea what tragedy is ahead of you. You have no idea what joys are ahead of you. You have no idea what doors God is going to slam in your face and which ones he's going to open up wide. You have no clue how your life is going to go. There are 10 million things that you don't even understand that will shape the direction and the path your life goes down. But here are some things you can control. And these are the three things I want to talk about. The three things I want you to do with the remaining days of your life, whether it is one or 100 or 1,000 or 10,000 days, here are the three things I want you to do. Write these down. You spend time in God's word. You spend time with God's people. And you spend time on God's mission. The remainder of your days, whether everything works out just as you envision it now or it is a completely different life, whether you are married or single, have a successful career or a sputtering one, whether you go to school or never make it to college, whatever you do, three things. Number one, spend time in God's word. Number two, spend time with God's people. Number three, spend time on God's mission. Let's talk about the first one. You spend time in God's word. Let me tell you this. I can almost predict who is going to continue to follow Jesus in this room based on whether or not you read the word of God. I have far too many stories over the years of doing high school ministry at my church, thousands of students going through where I looked at them and thought they're fired up for God, they love God, they're passionate about God, but they don't read his word and they fall off over and over and over again. And if you want to grow in Christ, you need to make Bible reading a central part of your life where you know the word, you love the word, and you make it a consistent, regular part of you. And listen to me. The reason isn't so you have more information about God. Remember, information doesn't change you. Obedience does. The reason we read the word is because when we read the word, whether you recognize it or not, God is creating with you in a power within you that you don't already have. And even if you can't see it, it creates a power and protection over your life. Like, let me put it this way. Years ago, I would lead mission trips um, of high school students to Kampala, Uganda. And so we would get on planes and go to Uganda for a week. We would serve people in the slums of Uganda. It was an incredible trip. Now, in the lead up to the trip, we always talked to people about the, the vaccinations or the pills and the medications they'd have to get in order to even get into the country. And everyone was really concerned about one word that was always surrounding Uganda, and that word was malaria. Malaria was a big thing in Uganda where we were going. And so what would happen is parents would get very concerned about this. They would go see their doctors, and they would start to give their kids, even two weeks out from the trip, a pill that you would take every day. 
And so they would take this pill daily for malaria, two weeks before the trip, during the trip, one week after the trip, in order to protect them from malaria. Now listen what happened. When they took that pill for malaria, you know what they felt inside their body? Nothing. The second day they took the pill, you know what they felt inside their body? Nothing. Week one, week two, week three, week four, the entire time they felt nothing inside of them. It didn't feel any different. Sometimes you take a medication, you can feel it right away. Not the case with these malaria meds. They would take it and they would feel nothing different. But here's what was true about their body, even if they didn't feel it. They had a protection they didn't previously have. Something was happening inside of them that they had a protection they didn't previously have. And the same exact thing happens when you hide the word of God in your heart. When you read the word, when you study the word, when you open the Bible, when you read it, you might not feel something the first day or the second day or the third day, but I promise you, by the 200th day, you'll start to have a protection, a power that exists within you that you didn't know you had. Well, one of the most powerful decisions I ever made in my life was the decision that I was going to read the Bible every day. I tried it for a few times growing up. I always thought I was going to do it. It never really worked. But then, January 1st of 2004, this year I recognized 20 years after this decision. I'm at a winter camp just like this, except it didn't meet at Hume, we were up at Lake Tahoe. We're at Lake Tahoe and I woke up January 1st of 2004, New Year's Day, and I made my way down to a dock. And I wanna show you that dock right here. Years later I drove past this dock visiting my parents. I stopped, got out of the car, and took a picture because all the way out on the end of that dock, right there looking out at the lake, snow-capped mountains, January 1st, 2004, the God of the universe and I met, and I made a promise that I would read the Bible every day of my life. And for 20 years, I have read the Bible every single day, and God has done miraculous things in my heart. He has filled me with power. He has filled me with protection. He has given me clarity. He has given me wisdom. He has given me direction in my life. He has given me everything my little 15-year-old mind desperately wanted. God has given that to me. And listen, it didn't happen through a series of emotional Bible reading times. There have been times I've opened the Bible and felt nothing. There have been times I've read my Bible just because I committed to doing so. But then I push through those times and I start to experience something powerful where the Holy Spirit of God meets me. You know what reading the Bible is like? It's like taking vitamins every day. You don't take vitamins and then suddenly feel stronger, faster, fitter, healthier. No, you take vitamins because over time it's building something up within you that actually causes your body to change. And the same thing has happened to my soul and to my mind and to my heart. I sat out on the edge of a dock on Lake Tahoe and I made a commitment to the Lord. And my challenge to every single one of you, whether it's before you leave camp today or on your way home today in a van or a car or whether you get home today and you just go into your backyard, go meet with the God of the universe. Make a promise to him that you're going to read the Bible every day and then come find me 20 years from now and tell me what happened because God will do a miracle in your life. He will do an incredible thing in your life. When you spend time in God's word, there is never a moment that is wasted. Spend time in the word of God. Know the Bible. Read the Bible. Love the Bible. Stop obsessing over your streaks. Sometimes people are like, well, I read the Bible 14 days in a row, but then I forgot, so my streak's over, so I give up. But like, you never do that in any other area of your life. Like, like you, I hope, I hope, I hope, brush your teeth every day. But could you imagine if there was a day where somehow you were traveling, you were busy, you were sick, something happened, and you forgot to brush your teeth? You wouldn't wake up the next morning and be like, I forgot, my streak is over. It's over. I give up. I'll never, I throw my toothbrush away, I'll never do it again. 
Now you just pick up the next day. You know what a great rule for Bible reading is? Never, ever miss two days in a row. You miss a day, it's okay. God loves you. He forgives you. Go back the next day. That's what we do with Bible reading. We don't obsess over our streaks or our numbers or some kind of game we're playing. What we do is we meet with the God of the universe. We say, I'm coming to your word, and you do a miracle in my heart. I dare you to read your Bible. I dare you to know it. I dare you to love it. The number one thing we will do for the rest of our days, whatever happens, education, life, career, marriage, family, children, you spend time in God's word. Here's number two. Number two is you spend time with God's people. You spend time with God's people. So see, if you want to be the type of person um, who flourishes and thrives in the Lord, it does not happen on your own. It doesn't happen with you just kind of like following after Jesus on your own, doing your own thing. It happens when you spend time with God's people. See, again, Psalm 90, we'll, we'll put it on the screen here where it talks about numbering our days. When we number our days, one of the things we want to say is, I get to gather with God's people, whether it's for one year or 10 years or 40 years or 90 years, but that's all I get. I get to gather with God's people, and I want to make the most of it. I want to be involved with it. And you know what the great tragedy is? Some of you have experienced God's power and his presence, a miraculous touch of God's Holy Spirit during this weekend, and you will go home and you will bail on church. And you'll bail for some reason like, well, that girl gave me a nasty look or that boy isn't interested in me or, or someone there is a hypocrite and you'll just bail for some reason or you don't like the worship music or you didn't like this choice or you don't like that little thing and you'll bail on God's people. And here's what I want you to know. You cannot become the person who lives a life worthy of the calling you've received. You cannot do it unless you are deeply connected to God's people. I want you to think about God's people this way. I want you to think about your phone, this little device most of you have in your pocket right now. Something fascinating happens when you drive up to Hume Lake. Um, your phone goes from this incredible piece of technology, one of the wonders of the modern world, and then you get up here, and this becomes like a really overpriced camera slash music player, right? Right? You don't have reception, you don't have connectivity, you don't have a network. It doesn't really work. It doesn't work the way it's supposed to. Now, the even greater tragedy would be this. If you were the person who tragically forgot to bring your charging cord for this weekend, because then this goes from an overpriced camera, music player, a little bit of other things, it goes to a very, very expensive paperweight, a doorstop. It cannot do anything, right? So if you want your phone to work, you need two things. You need power, right? If you don't have power, this is a doorstop. You should throw it away. It's nothing. You got nothing on your hands. But even if you have power, you don't function at the full ability you have until you have a network, until you have Wi-Fi, until you have signal, until you have something. You need two things in order for your phone to work. You need power and you need a network. And child of God, you need two things in order for you to function and live the life worthy of the calling you've received. Number one, you need power. And that power comes upon you when you call upon the name of the Lord. The Holy Spirit of God rushes down from heaven and fills your heart, makes you new, makes you a child of God, and makes you born again. Last night we watched that in this room, that there were people who experienced and received the power of God that lives inside of you for the first time. And that power makes you alive in Christ. But I told you, you don't just need one thing to function, you need two things. You need power and you need a network. See, in other words, if you just have the power of the Holy Spirit living in you, but you're doing things alone, you'll function, but never the way God intended for you. So you need power, and you need a network, and according to the Bible, that network is called the church, the local church, with all of the issues, all of the problems, all of the hypocrites, all of the issues, everything that goes on within the church, you know what God said? If you want to flourish, you got to be part of it. 
you got to lean in with it. That means you show up at youth group. It means you go to Sunday morning services. It means you show up at Bible study. It means you sign up to serve. It means you go on the mission trip. It means you do the event. You go to the thing. You get part of what's going on at your church. I don't know the schedule. I don't know what happens at your church every week. But you do, and you lean in, and you get to be a part of it. And for some of you, you have been drifting from the church. You've just kind of been stepping back. And the church becomes like the lowest on your priority list. It's sort of like you'll do anything And then if all those plans fail, you'll go to church. Or if not all of your friends are going, or if one or two people aren't going, you don't go that night. Your text isn't, hey guys, I'm going to church tonight, come with me. You ask the question, who's coming tonight? And it's time for that to change. In fact, I want to give an invitation this morning for the person in this room who's been drifting from the church. You've been doing your own thing. You call yourself a follower of Jesus, and yet you have been looking at God's church, God's network, and you've been saying no, and you've been distancing, distancing, distancing. And some of you, this morning, I want you to recommit to the local church. I want you to recommit to whatever's going on at your church, whatever's going on in that fellowship, whatever's going on in your youth group, that you would be a part of the local church going forward. This isn't everyone in the room. Some of you are all in. It doesn't mean you every time attend, you're never sick or have homework or something. It just means you're all in. This is not for you. But I think there are some of you in this room who know that's you, that I'm speaking to you right now, that you've been keeping the local church at an arm's distance, and it's time to end that, to number your days and say, I only have so many days left with this church. I'm all in. And so here's what I want to do across this room. If that's you right now, and you know I'm speaking to you, that you need to lean in with your local church, with every eye in this room open and every head up, I'm going to ask on three that you would stand to your feet as a declaration to yourself and to your church that you are all in going home. You've not been all in, but you're all in now. And once again, if you are scared of someone's opinion of you for standing right now, I want to plead with you to fear your God more than you fear the opinion of anyone in this room. On three, if you are ready to recommit to your local church, I want you to stand to your feet. One, two, three. Three, stand. It's awesome. Stay standing, stay standing. Here's my question for everyone who's not standing right now. You're looking at some people who are standing. They may be from your church. Maybe you know them. Maybe you just got to know them this weekend. Maybe you're just getting to know them as you go forward from this weekend. I have one question for you. Do you love and are you excited to get to know and love and celebrate and walk with the people who are standing? On three, yes or no? One, two, three. You are loved. Join your church. Lean in. You can have a seat. You spend time in God's word. You spend time with God's people. And then the final thing we do if we want to grow in Jesus is we spend time on God's mission. You only have so many days in your life. You only have so many days to accomplish the reason God has put you on this planet. And here's what Jesus said to his disciples. These words in Matthew 28 echo throughout the centuries because it's the same thing he tells you to do. Here's what Jesus says the moment before he ascends into heaven. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. You know what that means? You don't make Jesus the Lord of everything. He already is the Lord of everything. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He calls the shots. If Jesus says it, I'm doing it because he's in charge. It says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. 
You know what Jesus tells you to do with your entire life? Go tell people about God. Go tell people about the goodness of God. Go tell them how good Jesus is. Go tell them how Jesus saves. Go tell them how Jesus is the one who rescued you, who pulled you up out of that pit. Go tell them how you had nothing, but Jesus gave you everything. Go tell them how you were going in your own direction, but Jesus chased you down still. Spend the rest of your life telling people about Jesus. Making disciples of all nations isn't some get on a plane and go to another nation. Make disciples of this nation because Lord knows we need it. Make disciples of your school, of your community, of your family. Go home. Tell your brother and sister about Jesus. Tell your parents about Jesus. Tell your soccer team about Jesus. Tell your classmates about Jesus. Tell everyone about Jesus. Because Jesus loves you, and Jesus loves the world, and he has given us a mission, and that mission is that we would go tell the world about him, that we would be crystal clear about the message. The message isn't behave better. The message isn't believe these things. The message isn't think about these things. The message isn't go to church. The message is simple, and you know the message. We talked about it last night. You want to know the simple, simple, clear message of Jesus? God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's the message to go tell the world about. And we go and we talk about Jesus. I'm not just telling you to go live a really good life where you're nice to people and smile at people and buy them muffins and everyone just thinks you're sweet. I'm telling you to open your mouth and talk about the Savior. And why am I telling you to open your mouth and talk about the Savior? Because that's what you do with everything else you enjoy in life. When you watch a good show on Netflix, when you watch a good thing online, when you watch a great YouTube video or see a funny reel or a funny TikTok, when you see something and you enjoy it, you talk about it, you share it, because that's what we do with things we love. We share it with the people we love. It's like last year in Thousand Oaks, the city I live in, uh, there was a new pizza place that opened. And there's a million pizza places. And I like pizza, but it's not like the first thing that comes to my mind. Uh, and yet people kept telling me about the pizza place. Look, Brian, you got to try this pizza place. It's an amazing pizza place. Brian, you got to go to this. Have you been to the pizza place? Like people just coming up to me in the lobby of the church telling me about the pizza place. They're like, you're going to love the pizza place. It's mind-blowing pizza. It is going to redefine pizza for a generation. It is going to blow your mind. It's amazing. you got to go to the pizza place. And eventually I start to wonder, why does everyone want me to go to this pizza place? And is it because they hate me? No. Is it because they're trying to control the food I put into my mouth? No. Is it because they want to manipulate my pizza choices? No. It's because they like the pizza. They think I like the pizza. They enjoyed the pizza. They thought I'd enjoy the pizza. And if I can enjoy the pizza and they can enjoy the pizza together, then maybe all of us will experience joy more often. Listen, same is true with Jesus. You love Jesus. You want them to know Jesus. Jesus has been a blessing. He's been an encouragement. He's shown mercy and grace and kindness and presence in your life. Why wouldn't you want the people you know to know that same Jesus? Talk about Jesus. Invite them to church. Share the gospel with them. Post about it on your social media. Talk about Jesus. Use his name. Say, come with me to summer camp. Come with me next year to winter camp. I want you to be a part of this because God has been good to me. And if you enjoy Jesus, why in the world would you not want the people you love most to enjoy him too? You have three things that you can do for the rest of your life. You can spend time in God's word, you can spend time with God's people, and you can spend time on God's mission. See, so, so here's what's really clear to me. You have a choice before you, and the choice is what this weekend was actually going to be about, what the days of this weekend that you spent Friday and Saturday and Sunday were actually going to mean to you. And I want to give you two images to close. Here's the first image. Um, so often um, when I've taken students up to camp, they have treated Hume Lake Christian Camp, winter camp, like a cruise ship. And so here's 
an unbelievable cruise ship, Icon of the Seas. You've seen the advertisements or whatever, and um, it's amazing. And here's what you do on cruise ships. I've been on cruises in my life. Um, you go on a cruise ship and you have a great weekend. You eat, you drink, you sleep, you play in the pool, you do all the things. It's a great time. You love the cruise ship. The cruise ship is awesome. But, but here's the thing about the cruise ship. Um, the cruise ship is not life-changing. The cruise ship was like, yeah, we had a nice weekend. The cruise ship was like, yeah, we had a lot of fun. The cruise ship is like, yeah, we went there, and it was a great time, and it was a good thing. And then you move on with your life as if nothing ever changed. Please do not treat this weekend like a cruise ship. Please do not come up here, have fun, laugh, make new friends, have an incredible experience, and then go back and change nothing. I do not want you to look at camp every time you go like a cruise ship where you just get away from the world and have a good time. Even to get away from the world and have an encounter with God. That is good, but it is not the purpose of camp. Listen, the purpose of camp is not a cruise ship. The purpose of camp is an aircraft carrier. You do not get on an aircraft carrier just to relax, have fun, and have a nice weekend and forget about it. You get onto an aircraft carrier because there is a mission outside of it. You are on an aircraft carrier to be sent out somewhere else. There is a mission when you are on an aircraft carrier. You are called to accomplish that mission. The goal is not just have a nice time on the boat. The goal is go accomplish the mission you were sent on. Listen, camp this weekend is an aircraft carrier. It is meant to send you out on a mission that God has for you. Because remember what I said at the very beginning of the weekend. God brought you here on purpose and for a purpose. The God of the universe wanted to speak to you this weekend. And that purpose wasn't just so that you would have a lovely weekend here at camp. That purpose was so that you would go out into the world and accomplish the mission that God has given you. And here's the mission, according to Solomon, the final words on the matter, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, you're going to see it once more on the screen here. All has been heard, and here is the conclusion of Winter Camp 2024. Fear God, keep his commandments. This is the duty of all mankind, and this is the mission that God has brought you here for. He brought you here on purpose and for a purpose, that you would spend the rest of your life fearing God keeping his commandments, and when you do that, you will watch your life change, you will watch the world change, and I dare you to obey God and fear him the rest of your days. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity once more to look at your word. And God, I pray for every man, woman, student in this room. I pray for the leaders, the youth pastors, everyone, that they would go home, that they would obey you, that they would fear you, and that they would walk in faithfulness to your commands. God, may this be a life-changing weekend, not just because of what happened here, but because of the mission that's gonna happen outside of here. God, help these students to know you, trust you, walk with you, and worship you all the days of their life. Help them to number their days, that they might be filled with wisdom. Help them to fear you, that they might obey. We pray these things in the name of the resurrected Jesus. And all God's people, one last time, said real loud,